Our text now is Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 16. Let's read that together. Genesis 45, 1 through 16. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. He cried, make everyone go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. And he said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not tarry. You shall dwell in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks, your herds and all that you have. Here, there I will provide for you. And there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have do not come to poverty. And now your eyes see, and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see, that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers, and he wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have, have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. So far, the reading of our text. After the sermon, we'll respond to the gospel by singing together hymn 78, stanzas 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, what does it mean for God to test His people? What does it mean when, when, when something or someone is tested? The theme for this morning's sermon is through severe testing. God teaches His people to recognize His providence. God is testing His people in this passage that we've read this morning. 
In all of these readings, we are able to see what kind of, of mental and emotional distress that Joseph has put his brothers through before he finally reveals himself to them. And as we have remarked quite often as we've made our way through these narratives in Genesis, this narrative of, of Joseph, for those who have heard and, and read this Joseph story for years and years, who are so familiar with it, uh, we've, we've heard this story about Joseph and his, his rise to power in Egypt and his reunion with his brothers. It's, it's sort of easy for us to take all of this and see all the things that Joseph has done and just respond quite matter-of-factly, yes, this, this is what Joseph did, and it's quite a story, right? But why? Why did it happen this way? Why did Joseph reveal himself in this way to his brothers? Why didn't he immediately reveal himself to his brothers the first time that he saw them when they came from Canaan to buy grain? Or for that matter, after Joseph was released from prison and in the first you know, moments of him serving as governor with all of the authority in the land and enjoying all of Pharaoh's favor, he could pretty much do whatever he wanted to do. Why didn't he say, Pharaoh, my Lord, I haven't seen my family for 13 years. I'm going to take a few personal days and I'm going to go and see my father and my brothers he could have done that. And Pharaoh obviously would have granted this. It would take just a couple of days to, to make the journey down to Canaan, see his, his family, and then go back to his duties in Egypt. Why didn't he do that? Why all of this? Why this giant charade? Why is this the way that they are reunited? Well, the answer is, Joseph's brothers had to learn something. They had to learn something first. They had to deal with what they had done to him. Joseph's brothers had to fully understand the extent of the justice that they would have deserved because of everything that they did. Joseph's brothers had to be completely and utterly humbled before they were in the right condition to recognize the wonderful and merciful providence of God that he was exercising for their benefit. God had been acting for Joseph's brothers, for, for their family, for this family of God. God had been acting for their benefit all along, and this is what it would take for them to be able to recognize these things. And so while we as God's people hear God's word this morning, while we recount these things and see how, how surprisingly God works in the lives of his people, may we also be comforted. May we be assured, may we be encouraged that God is the same today. He's the same today for us. He wants us to know him. He wants us to be able to recognize His powerful and loving hands in our lives. And quite often, He has to prepare us in surprising ways 
to be able to see his fingerprints in our lives. And quite often he does this by testing us, by refining us with hard things. So back to the question I asked at the beginning, why does God test his people? It's to discover, or why does God test his people? Because on the, on the one hand, we see, we see Joseph doing some things here. He has certain reasons for, for testing his brothers, for putting them through certain things. But we recognize also that above all of that stands God. And God is acting through Joseph for his own purposes and for the well-being of Joseph's brothers. So, we know why people test things, or why people test other people. People test things in order to discover something that is unknown. So when, for example, a product is being designed by a company, they would put that thing through a series of tests. They would beat it up and see how durable it is, uh, or, or test it to see whether it will even work. The test provides information that wasn't known before. So we can see this is sort of Joseph's reason for doing these things, but it's a different reason with God. God tests the way that, let's say, a goldsmith tests. It's the same word, but with different purposes. The way a goldsmith tests or tries gold, it gets put into fire in order to burn out impurities and also to reveal in that lump of material what is gold and what is not and what must be removed. It's a refining process. This is how we have to view these tests that are prepared for Joseph's brothers, and this is how we have to view the tests that God prepares for each one of us. We are being purified. We are being refined. We are being prepared for something good, for some great blessing. So our text this morning is chapter 45, verses 1 through 16, but of course we can recognize that, that everything that we see in this text is built on this much longer narrative sequence that comes before it. Our text is the conclusion to everything that we've seen in the previous chapters, and especially in chapters 42, 43, and 44, the selections that we read beforehand. So, let's start with verse 1 of our text, 45 verse 1. We read there, Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. Joseph, after all of this, after seeing his brothers these times and for dealing with them, or after dealing with them certain ways, he cannot contain himself. This whole time he has been bottling up his emotions ever since he saw his brothers. A couple of times he, he lost control and he's had to slip away, turn his face, turn his back on them so that he could weep privately without anyone knowing. And he's finally overwhelmed. We have to remember he has not seen his brothers by this time. He hasn't seen his brothers for 20 years. His brothers think if Joseph is still alive, well, he's some slave somewhere of, of little significance. They have no idea what has become of Joseph. And Joseph has been desperate to reveal himself to them, but he has waited. The time 
has not been right. And so we asked before, why hadn't Joseph sought them out before? Why didn't he return to Canaan? Or why didn't he just reveal himself the moment he saw his brothers? Well, Joseph is not God. And there's an element here of Joseph needing to know what his brothers are like. Although God knows everything and and God is shaping his brothers through these tests, Joseph is a human. Joseph needs to find out, are they still the horrible brothers that they were? Are they sorry about what they have done to him? Or are they still enjoying life without their, their spoiled brat brother? Do they regret it even at all? And so in this first set of tests, this first set of trials he devises for them, it seems like he's causing them to experience just a little taste of what they put him through. They come to him, they come before him to buy food, and they acknowledge his status in Egypt. They're bowing down before him, and so we can see here that all these dreams that Joseph had, these dreams are being fulfilled, and he responds very harshly. He threatens them with imprisonment. He says to them, uh, literally, you have come to see the nakedness of the land, right? He, he accuses them of being spies, wanting to see the weak spots. You've come to see the nakedness of the land. That's actually kind of interesting because that's what Joseph was accused of. Uh, this is why Joseph was imprisoned, because he was accused of, of trying to uncover the nakedness of Potiphar's wife. So he turns this back on them. They're imprisoned for three days, and finally he lets them go. And he guarantees them, you are not going to see me again. You will not be able to come here and buy any more food, any more grain, unless you bring your youngest son with you. He knows that this is an impossible thing for them to do. And this mistreatment seems to have the desired effect. Joseph's brothers are grieved. They are full of regret and they're acknowledging the evil that they have done to Joseph. Twenty years before, this is coming back to haunt them. We read there in verse 21 of chapter 42, verse 21, Then they said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother, in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Joseph hears that. They don't think Joseph can understand. He's speaking Egyptian. He's speaking with an interpreter. They don't understand. They don't know that that this governor can understand Hebrew. He hears this and it breaks him. He starts weeping, but he keeps the ruse going. He imprisons Simeon. He sends them off on their way. They find all their money back in their sacks, and of course, this too fills them with fear. They're going to be accused of stealing. What's going to happen? They're going to be imprisoned or executed. Who knows? Simeon is already gone. They've lost him. How can they go back? They somehow have to be able to return and and get Simeon, or he's lost. But they're all at risk because of of the money. If, If they go back... 
They know that the only way that they can come back is if they bring Benjamin, and Jacob is never going to let this happen. And so what do they do? Well, they sort of tread water. Let's not really deal with this right now. We'll just eat the food that we have. They tread water until they run out of food again, and now they have to go back. And Jacob is absolutely in anguish at the prospect of losing more of his family. Joseph, as far as he knows, Joseph is dead. His favorite son, this beloved son of his, is dead. And Simeon is in prison. They're probably never going to see him again. And now they're saying, all right, let's bring Benjamin too. It's too much. But what happens? Judah intervenes. Judah. This is pretty remarkable. We remember Judah. He was the one with the brilliant idea of selling Joseph in the first place. His reasoning back then was, well, if we kill Joseph, we're not going to get anything out of it, and, and we'll be guilty, we'll have blood on our hands, so we'll sell him, we'll get money, and, and then in, in the following chapter, we saw how he acted so dishonorably with his own sons and with his daughter-in-law, the, the, the account with Tamar, but he has repented. And throughout the, these passages, he shows how God himself has changed his character. Verse 43, verse 9, Judah says, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. Ju uh, Judah is stepping up and taking responsibility for all of this. So Jacob relents. He, he allows it. He has no choice. They need this food. And so they send gifts and bring the money that was supposed to be paid the last time. And so they're summoned to Joseph's house and they're assured by his steward that there's no wrongdoing with the money. Don't worry. I received your money. And the explanation he gives, chapter 43, verse 24, he says, Your God, the God of your father, has given you the treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Yes, God has done this. Joseph has carried it out through his steward, but the truth of the matter is, yes, they did receive this back from God. Simeon is brought out to them, and now here comes this next test. Joseph tests them again. What's this test about? Well, Joseph remembers very well how his brothers resented him. They resented him for being the son of Jacob's favorite wife. He was the son of Jacob's old age. This made him the favorite son. They hated him for this. So Joseph wants to know, how are they going to treat Benjamin? And Joseph observes, so verse 34 of chapter 43 so he, he lines them all up from oldest to youngest. They're feasting at his house. And we read in verse 34, Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. We read that, you know, maybe the first time and go, well, okay, yeah, Joseph had a very special love for Benjamin, and so he's showering him with, with extra... Uh, compassion and love and giving him this gesture, but no, there's more to this. He wants to see how Joseph's brothers react to Benjamin's special treatment. Joseph, or Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, 
and they, and they drank and were merry with him. They did not resent Benjamin. They did not mistreat him the way that they mistreated Joseph. So that clears that up. Now, Joseph isn't finished yet. He has one more severe test for them, and this is the worst one. After they're done feasting, he sends them on their way, loaded with this abundance of food, and again with their money back with them, but he's also given instructions for his very special silver cup to be put in Benjamin's stuff. And we know what happens. The steward catches up with them, and they're all confident that no one could have done such a thing. They're so confident that they say that the one who has the cup is going to be put to death, and the rest of them will become slaves in Egypt. But of course, it's found in Benjamin's sack. And yes, their hearts sank. Well, we're done for. This is the end. This is the end of the road. We, we're, we can't go back to our father. We, we can't return without Benjamin. He's going to die. If we go back to Egypt, we're going to get in trouble. We'll all probably be executed. But what do they do? The only thing they can do, they all go back together to Egypt to beg for mercy. And this is where Judah really displays his change of heart. He offers himself in place of his brother Benjamin. The brothers who happily sold Joseph into slavery 20 years before are now offering themselves in place of the one that they know is the favorite. They're willing to give themselves up for their brother. And this is where Joseph can't take it anymore. With Judah pleading for Benjamin, after 20 years, he shows himself to them. It's me. It's me. It's Joseph. Verse 2 of our text. He wept aloud. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph has seen enough. He has seen the turmoil that they've been through about him. He sees that they are so full of regret about this, but more importantly... In the past events that his brothers have experienced with him, his brothers have been rendered absolutely helpless. His brothers have been rendered completely in fear of death, in fear of imprisonment, in fear for their loved ones. They have realized that they have absolutely no control over their lives, and now they are terrified of Joseph. Verse 45, verse 3 Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? And this is their reaction. His brothers could not answer him for they were dismayed at his presence. They know what they deserve. Oh no, this is Joseph. This is our brother that we did all of this, this evil toward. We, we were going to kill him. We, we turned him into a slave. All of the things that were hanging over their heads for these past months, these, the, the, the actions that they took against Joseph 20 years before, these things that came back to haunt them, they think now we are reaping everything that we've sown. 
The question in their hearts, is Joseph now going to rain down all of this on us? All of this justice that we deserve? Is Joseph going to judge us harshly? They understand Joseph's power. They understand his his ability to give them exactly what they deserve, and they are terrified. How do they view Joseph, this judge over them, full of desire of revenge, spiteful, gloating? But Joseph reassures his brothers, no, I'm not going to do all of this to you. Everything that you know that you deserve I'm not going to do that to you. He brought them to a situation where they had to properly, finally deal with all of this, all of their sins. He caused them to experience true guilt and shame and fear. They have truly humbled themselves before him and they understand how they ought to be treated. But Joseph assures them, God is caring for you right now. Three times in this speech that he makes to them, he assures them that God is busy with them and that God has been doing all of this for their sake. Verse 5, Joseph says to them, now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. And then he says again in verse 7, God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. And then again in verse 8, in case you missed it, my brothers, it was not you who sent me here, but God. What comfort for Joseph's brothers. In the face of certain death, in the face of execution, in the face of imprisonment, all of the harsh, terrible treatment that they should be receiving from Joseph's brother, or from from Joseph himself, his justice should be raining down on them. This is what they were facing, and this is what Joseph shows them. This is what Joseph proclaims to them. God is at work. God is taking care of you. How wonderful God's providence is to Joseph's brothers. Would they have seen how wonderful, how bright and glorious the providence of God is for them if Joseph had not given them such a clear picture about the reality of the justice that they deserved? They have finally confessed their sin. They have finally humbled themselves, and now they are treated with immeasurable grace and care. You will be loved. Yes, you've done all of this, but you will be loved. This is how God works for you. This is how God deals with you. Think about that. If if your life... Is, is, 
easy and pain-free all the time. You're never forced to reckon with the seriousness of sin. You're never forced to, to really and truly deal with the tragedy of the brokenness of life. If life is perfectly comfortable all the time, then what sort of false conclusions do you reach about the nature of your relationship with God and the state of your spiritual health? But it's when you face the reality of sin and all of the horrible, disastrous effects of sin in this world, when you face the brokenness of your life, it's finally here that you understand your helplessness. And you all have to have a good understanding of that, don't you? You need to understand your helplessness. You really understand then how much you need God's love and His grace and He shows it to you. It's through testing that God shows you these things. He gives you tastes of hardships so that you, you realize that you cannot rely on yourselves but that you're helpless and you need Him for everything. And when God brings you to that state of heart and that state of mind that you finally deny yourself and you accept that you are not in control and you finally, as you should have been all along, and you finally throw yourself at the feet of God in complete humility and confess that you can't do anything and you're finally ready to receive blessings from His hand and on His terms, instead of taking them on your own, then your eyes are opened. You're able to see the wonderful providence of God. You're able to see now how He orchestrates your life in such a way that you see Him, you recognize Him. What wonderful things God has done for me. Now you can see the absolute wonder of His love for you. It's only after realizing how far you have fallen and how far and how great your need and your debt was that your eyes are open to see the beauty of your Savior Jesus Christ. If this is how terrible my lot would have been, if this is what I was facing, this is what Jesus Christ has saved me from through giving His body, undergoing the punishment that I was supposed to bear. How beautiful and wonderful my Savior Jesus Christ is finally see it. God will provide situations in your life where you have no other recourse but to humble yourself before Him and ask for help. And He will give it. Because He is your Father. He is your Father because you belong to Jesus Christ. Everything that we've read here this morning, everything that we've recounted, 
the care of God over his people. And the truly surprising and marvelous ways that he steers his people's lives. How for the sake of the lives of his people, he brought certain states over the whole world. And he did all this, not only to deal with his people at that time in a certain way, but to also to teach us something. All of this is, this is a record. This is a record of God's love for his people. And this is to teach you and assure you and comfort you that he deals likewise with you for the sake of Jesus Christ. This is a record of the perfect providence of God for the sake of the children that he has brought back to himself. If you ever doubt his ability or his willingness to care for you, then remember what he has done. This is why we sing the songs that we do. This is why we write God's word on our hearts. This is why we proclaim the wondrous deeds of the Lord from generation to generation so that we know his character And so that we have a confidence that our God is good. He sent His Son for you. That's how much He cares for you and loves you. And when you, by the grace of God, are given this wonderful ability to see the beauty of His providence for you, then you are able to rejoice even on the hardest day of your life because it is preparing you for glory. Amen.